It's June 27th, 2018, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. Now, first up today, we're very excited to talk with Ira Flato from Science Friday about his live shows coming up in uh, Honolulu and Waimea. Yeah, and of course, after the break, we'll learn about accelerating clean energy startups from our friends over at Elemental Accelerator were joined by Aki Marceau and Louis Cancado from Carbon Lighthouse. But yes, first up, let us welcome Ira Flato, the charming and handsome host of Science Friday, calling in from the East Coast. Welcome to the show. Well, you, you, thank you very much. You must be talking about somebody else when you say handsome and charming. No, <laughs> I no, have, absolutely. I have a face for radio. <laughs> well, so we do, do we. too. <laughs> and that's why they have us on. Right. Thank you for calling in <laughs> and staying up, in fact, late for us uh, from, from the East Coast. Well, my pleasure. I'm actually a night owl, so this is a good time to talk with me. Absolutely. Well, Ira, you know, I don't think uh, too many of your guests ask you about the history of Science Friday, so we're kind of interested how did you sort of get started in doing Science Friday? Now, don't tell me that you started like 40 years ago. Well, we're actually, almost. We actually started um, Science Friday now in its 27th year. Mm. So, I mean, I've been doing this radio gig for over 40 now. So, uh, it, you know, I started out at NPR back in the first year NPR started, but that's a different story. Wow. Um, Science Friday, uh, I came to NPR with an idea for a weekly science show. And uh, the public radio stations didn't know really much about talk shows in those days. And they said, well, well we, you're going to take one day of the week. First of all, what are we going to do the other four days? And <laughs> second, how do we convince them to do a talk show? So go away and think about this for a while. And I went away, and in that time, Saddam Hussein bailed me out of this, actually. And <laughs> <laughs> the first Gulf War in 1990 started. NPR had a week, uh, had a daily talk show, and that uh, that war only lasted a few weeks. And then the station said, "Hey, how about a talk show?" And I raised my hand and said, "Remember? Okay, you can do Friday. We'll fill in the other four days of the week." And oh, that's interesting. That's how so that they they no, found a, they found a, a hole in their program that a science show could fill. Now, lucky thing you didn't call your show Science Wednesday. You know, it was going to be science. It's good that you brought that up. It was originally going to be Science Thursday. Mm. And because that's the day when all the news about science is released to the public that's right. uh, from the journal, mm -hmm. I thought, hey, we could be the first ones out with the news. But science uh, doesn't doesn't roll off your tongue as well as sci-fi, so yeah. Sci-fi, and also it gives you a day perhaps to read those technical and scientific journals to understand what <laughs> no, they're possibly trying to say. I think about that. That's true. That's well, pretty true. you know, speaking for myself, I mean, um, my history with you and perhaps why I know how, how good-looking you are is really from um, Newton's Apple on PBS. You know, I was eight years old, nine years old. <laughs> oh, and, no, goodness, you're dating yourself and me now. Oh, no, <laughs> oh, no. I mean, you, you look very young back then as well, and you look exactly the same now, but I right. mean, there. How how do you manage that transition? I mean, I, I even understand that you started with like a high school television sh uh, program, um, you know, yeah. making that migration yeah. apart from perhaps challenges related to whether or not you have a face for radio. I mean, how have you learned to tell stories on the radio that you can't tell um, the same way when you would with a camera? Well, you have to be fearless. I mean, you have to have two things going. First, you have to be fearless in terms of not being afraid to make a mistake or to try new and interesting ways of doing things. And second, you have to be a ham. I mean, like, I'm a hammy guy, you know. <laughs> I was one of these guys in high school with the pencil, you know, with the pocket protectors and 
applied rules and I was an engineering student, you know, a really geeky guy. I'm still a geeky guy. But something happened when I was a senior in high school. I got interested in the theater hmm. and I, I was working in TV in, in high school and I went to college in Buffalo and they didn't have a, a theater department, whatever, but they had this radio station. So he said, hey, uh, you know, I'm studying engineering. Let me go in and see if I can twist the dials a little bit. And at that point, the Vietnam War was the anti-war demonstrations were heating up with Kent State, things like that. Mm-hmm. And they needed people to cover those riots and demonstrations. And I said, I'll do that. And I, I basically got on the job training and happened to be in the right place at the right time. Because my boss, a guy named Bill Seemering, then left to go to Washington to actually start NPR. He was the first program director, invented all things considered, fresh air, things like that. Wow, that's so, a, that's great. That's great stories. I love good it. timing for sure. Yeah, it's good. it was good. It was good timing. Yeah. So, Ira, in terms of the selection of some of the topics you cover, and having been doing this for twenty-seven years, is there a particular thread of science that you would gravitate toward, or you know, where is it your sweet spot? Well, that's a good question. Um, I, I, there are two or three things I really like that I cover all the time. One is cosmology, which means where did the universe come from? You know, why is there all this dark stuff out there? Mm. What is it made out of? What is the universe made out of? I love that stuff. And then, then I also like stuff about the microbiome, mm-hmm. which is, you know, these trillions of bacteria that live in your gut. And <laughs> we don't know very much about that. So, you know, it's it's, it's quite fascinating. We've been covering it probably longer than anybody else. And third, I'm really a water person. I'm a Pisces, so I love watery mm. stuff. So I, I love to talk about the oceans. I, you know, I was a scuba diver for many years. Um, and so anything that has to do with the, the health, safety, or development, or finding fun and interesting things in the oceans... I'm I'm eager to talk about it. Well, Ira, I mean, I think that's a perfect segue to talk about one of the reasons why we're very excited to talk to you is that you are going to be here in Hawaii next week doing a couple of shows. And obviously, Hawaii has a role in the science that you've covered from astronomy to energy to marine biology. Um, very quickly, I mean, is there an aspect of Hawaii science that you are eager to get an up-close and personal look at? Well, yeah. I mean, you 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 summed it up. You guys got everything going for you, from astronomy to you know to to the oceans. We're going to talk about the corals, endangered corals. There, we're going to talk about uh, there's a Mars colony experiment that's going on I there. See. Maybe yeah. you know mm-hmm. about that. We're going to talk about why do you do that in Hawaii? What do you learn? Why is Hawaii a good place to talk about Mars? Um, and we're going to talk about the vegetation. We're going to, yeah, you know, there's just endless things about nature that we can talk about there. And we're going to be talking about that as much as we can. Well, that's very good. And we are definitely excited about uh, you coming over here. And, you know, Ira, if, I, if there's anything that I could request is, you know, one of my bucket lists is to get a selfie with Ira Flato. So, oh, my. Well, come on. <laughs> come on down. I'd be very happy to have a selfie with anybody. Sounds yeah. good. You know? Well, let's bump into each other. Absolutely. So you have a show on Friday, July 6th at 7.30 at Hawaii Theater Center, a second show at Kahilu, Kahilu Theater in Waimea. That'll be on Saturday, July 7th, and you can get more information at hawaiipublicradio.org. But Ira, it sounds like you're just as excited to be here as we are excited to have you in Hawaii. I am. It's only the second time I'll be there ever in Hawaii, and I'll be without my kids. Who Last time I was there, they were teenagers. <laughs> let's not go there. Oh, okay. my. Well, Ira, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. 
Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you guys for inviting me. And uh, what do you say in Hawaiian when you, you know, say it? Aloha? Yeah. Aloha and Aloha. mahalo. And mahalo. Mahalo. Or you can Thank say ahui ho until we'll we see, see you next yeah, time. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to pronounce that in the meantime. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, Ira. Thank and you, course, guys. Good we'll, luck. And, of course, Thank we'll take you. a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Aki Marceau uh, from Elemental Accelerator and Louis Concado from Carbon Lighthouse. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ekahi Ornish Lifestyle Medicine, Ulupono Initiative, and Impact Hub Honolulu Co-working. I have always been a public radio listener. I like the different points of view that you get from public radio. Because there are two stations and I can always just flip back and forth, it just made it easier for me to just program those two stations in my radio. So that's what I do. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Welcome back to Bite Marsh Cafe. So now joining us are Aki Marceau and Louis Cancaro. Aki works closely with policymakers and government agencies, ensuring that Elemental Accelerator's programs serve the public good. She also serves as portfolio manager for mobility companies. Absolutely. Now, meanwhile, Lewis is the executive account manager at Carbon Lighthouse. They're committed to addressing the impacts of climate change through reducing the emissions of the commercial real estate sector in the United States. And, of course, how is Hawaii uniquely positioned for this clean energy sector? We want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you so much, guys. It's really a privilege to be here. It's great to be back. Yes, we want to welcome you both, and we're just glad to have you. And of course, we want to start a little, uh, you know, start off the show, maybe talking a little bit about Carbon Lighthouse. I love the name; (laughs) it really conjures all kinds of images. Yes. So tell us, Lewis, what does Carbon Lighthouse do? I can tell you first off, Carbon Lighthouse is a lot better better than some of the alternatives that we had. But yeah, our our focus is uh, kind of shining a light on a more efficient and renewable future, and and we're focused specifically in commercial real estate and all of the major food groups, which to us are hospitality, industrial, uh, office, and and education as well. Mm -hmm. And certainly we can see how Hawaii might have something that you can work with with our uh, visitor industry and large facilities. When you talk about commercial real estate and property mm-hmm. and working with its carbon footprint, for example. Mm-hmm. Can you give us an idea? I mean, I understand that the, for example, just the air conditioning systems mm-hmm. of a single downtown building is a significant draw compared to, say, a household, correct? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a, an order of magnitude larger. And actually, we, we saw this recently. Honolulu is in, I think, the top five in the country in terms of buildings over 12 stories tall. Uh, so it's that was surprising to us, but it's up there with Chicago, New York, and Los Angeles in terms mm. of the opportunity from a commercial real estate standpoint. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. We want to hear more about Carbon Lighthouse, but Aki, I want to give you a chance to tell us a little bit about Elemental Accelerator. I know you've gone through sort of a name change, but also I, you know, we're interested in what was the connection that ultimately ended up having Carbon Lighthouse be a part of the Accelerator program? 
So start with a little bit of, you know, what is Elemental? Sure. Elemental Accelerator, we're a growth stage startup accelerator. So what that means is that we work with startups that are in kind of the commercialization stage of their of their startup journey. So it can be, you know, as early as, um, or startups can be as early as like the idea stage. Mm-hmm. But we really focus on companies that are um, have already deployed in other areas or in Hawaii um, already and are really trying to figure out how to get that second, third, fourth customer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and do you recollect the connection that ultimately brought Carbon Lighthouse to Hawaii? Yeah, so we work with startups um, in, in kind of the energy system at large, but mm-hmm. we really fund companies that are um, in energy, mobility, agriculture, and water. Um, and so we see this as um, in order to reach our 100% clean energy goals, um, and we have a goal in Hawaii to reach those to have 100% clean energy by 2045, uh, we really need to take a systems approach. And so Carbon Lighthouse really fits the bill because they they service um, energy use within the real estate sector. Now, um, full disclosure, I mean, a startup I was involved in or am involved with, Smart Yields, was a portfolio company of Elemental and Energy Accelerator. And uh, certainly that systems approach is clear in the companies you select. For uh, Lewis, the opportunities to be uh, mentored to find investors to network to make these connections are are out there and certainly mm-hmm. I think you're uh, based in on the west coast. No, generally? I'm based downtown on Bishop and oh, South King. Oh, okay. Well, so that would be one reason why you might work with Elemental etc. But mm-hmm. why else was this program attractive to you? Uh, there, there's a lot of reasons, uh, and it's it's an interesting question. Uh, Hawaii is the most dependent state in the country on oil, and that largely, I think, fueled the really progressive goals. So for Carbon Lighthouse, every kilowatt hour that we save is almost twice as valuable here than it is in any other country. Uh, so that makes it more profitable not only for us but also the building owner as well. And in addition to that, since most of that energy is being produced from imported oil, it's a very dirty source of energy. And we measure our success internally by the number of power plants that we take off the grid. So we're having more impact and achieving our mission uh, in a greater way in every building we work in in Hawaii. Now, in the process of selecting accelerators and going through sort of a mentoring program, was there anything that, that drew you to Elemental? Or do you, were you part of those discussions like, there must be, I mean, there are mm-hmm. other accelerators out there. I mm-hmm. mean, what was it that sort of drew you to Hawaii? Yeah, I was only involved peripherally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had, at the time, I think, worked in close to 500 buildings across the country when we started working with Elemental. And again, the, the expensive energy and the, and the very dirty source of energy was very attractive to us. Well, I mean, I apologize for thinking because you had just come (laughs) in from the West Coast, but it's interesting to hear that you already have clients Mm -hmm. across the country, not just in Hawaii. As as Aki mentioned, they work with companies that kind of have that that first toehold and they're Mm -hmm. looking to move them to the next space. So, um, Aki, in terms of the current cohort and working with uh, Lighthouse, um, how do you evaluate where um, Lewis's company is in terms of taking that next step? Yeah, this is a very timely question because at (laughs) Elemental Accelerator right now, we're in the middle of our applications evaluation process. And so we run our program on an annual basis. Um, Each year, we have a team that scours the globe for the best and innovative startups um, in in these spaces that I I previously just mentioned. And Mm -hmm. Carbon Lighthouse was one of them in 2015. I think we met you guys in 2015. We were 2016. 2016. Yes, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and and then we we have about 800 companies at the top of our pipeline, and we'll down-select through a series of um, steps. So we have about three rounds in our application process um, to about 15 to 20 companies, which we finally select. And the, the application process, um, the initial stages are, are pretty simple. You kind of just fill in your company information. Um, but then as we, we um, kind of hold our hands together and go through that process, um, we will talk to your investors and Ryan knows this, this whole thing. <laughs> um, we'll talk to other customers that you've been uh, meeting with or working with to get a better understanding of what you do. And we'll even um, fly out to interview you or if you're located um, in Hawaii, um, some folks have come to our office for in-person interviews. And so um, it's, a, it's a pretty extensive process. And Bert actually just participated in one of our community marketplaces mm-hmm. where we bring in members of the community who could be potential project partners to um, help, you know, we'll scrub the, the confidential information, but um, really help us evaluate, oh, is this something that is solving a really big problem specific to Hawaii? I love the way that you've uh, been able to, like you say, scour <laughs> the country for some of these companies. Uh I'm wondering how that process actually takes place. Does somebody actually go out to search out for these companies? Or is there a place where they're concentrated? I mean, how do you find these companies? Yeah, that's a great question. We, we kind of use this fishing metaphor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so um, we can find companies I, like through spear phishing, as we say, um, so direct approaches, and we'll 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 hear from I don't know just the the industry that these companies are really interesting and could actually serve a, a, a specific purpose in Hawaii. Um, and then another one is just kind of from from the fish pond, so that's our our network. Um, and the most references come from existing portfolio companies, mm. actually. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then um, the third is really. Uh, just from um, like investors and um, other folks kind of in, in our ecosystem or folks that we kind of um, uh, attract through our website and that type of thing. So it's a little bit more passive. Mm-hmm. You know, I do want to talk uh, more about uh, how did you get your 500 buildings and how do you look at scaling across the entire country and perhaps the globe? I want to hold that thought. We'll be right back, right after, right back after this uh, short break to continue our conversation with both Aki Marceau and Louis Concado. We're talking about clean energy startups. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Wealth Jar, Hawaii Pacific University, and Locations. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. We're talking to Aki Marceau from the Elemental Accelerator and Louis Concato from Carbon Lighthouse about their global impact. And, of course, uh, you know, we talk a little bit about uh, Elemental Accelerator, the, the companies that are kind of going through their their uh, program. I was caught by the fact that uh, um, Carbon Lighthouse already had like 500 buildings mm-hmm that they have signed up. Mm-hmm. Were these 500 buildings, uh, you have offices in Honolulu, uh, New York, and San Francisco. Were they primarily around those areas or were they mm-hmm. in other uh, cities you know, across the U.S.? Yeah, we, we grew up in San Francisco. That's uh, so where we are headquartered and have the most uh, headcount in terms of employees. We opened up an office in Manhattan in early 2016. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the 500 buildings, it was no easy feat. Um, we're obviously trying to grow that number. And 
it, to go back to your question, Bert, about international uh, growth, in the U.S. alone, the commercial real estate industry makes up about 40% of emissions. Mm -hmm. And so for us, we want to get really good here in the U.S. first at addressing mm -hmm. that impact and then go abroad from there. So let's let's say I'm the owner or manager of a 20-story office building, tens of thousands of square feet, a mm -hmm. HVAC system that's my biggest bill every month. Mm -hmm. How do you articulate if you catch me in an elevator? Mm -hmm. What you do in that trip from that top floor down? I mean, yeah. you brought in a nice, uh, you know, exhibit that yeah. we can share with folks on the radio. Let's say. It's like <laughs> a, it's a sensor like with an a antenna on it, sort of rectangular hockey yeah. puck. I ah. just yeah, I described it. It's about the size of a credit card and about the width of a hockey puck. Okay, um, okay. So you're you're fin you're filling me this in the elevator, and I'm like, mm -hmm. hey, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, I don't carry one of those around <laughs> with me all the time, and it's a long elevator ride. Right. But, um, actually, I'm glad you asked that because we. A week or so ago, uh, put out an article that we'll be working at Waterfront Plaza with the Scheidler Group. And mm -hmm. and for a building like that and for every building for that matter, we will put a temporary network of those sensors that you're holding throughout the building. Um, and they passively collect data for about five to eight weeks. And, and Ryan, you and I were talking about this earlier before we were on air, but the, the value of that data is, is large. It, we need it. But what we do with that data that no one else has seen before is really what's able to unlock these hidden inefficiencies in existing buildings. So you're not necessarily tapping into a control system of a company no. and looking at their control panels mm -hmm. and their own readouts. You're literally measuring the live, actual, natural environment mm -hmm. in a building just by putting this on a vent, putting this on a wall, putting mm -hmm. it in a conference room. Yeah. Yeah. It's verification and um, more, a much more granular understanding of how the building's HVAC equipment is operating. Uh, but you're correct. We, in an ideal situation, will replace no equipment. We're looking to make the existing equipment far more efficient. Hmm. Now, I don't want you to have to share any trade secrets <laughs> here, but <clears throat> that, that the rectangular hockey puck that uh, Ryan is holding – what sort of center, sensors are in there and what kinds of um, what mm -hmm. kind of data are you actually trying to collect? Yeah, so we, we actually don't make the sensors and they're collecting pretty simple things. Um, we're looking at humidity, power factor, flow rates, amperage, voltage, temperature, and a number of other variables. Um, but what, what's valuable to us is, you know, we put, say, three to 500 sensors in a building. They're collecting data every one to five minutes for five to eight weeks. And when you do that math, we're looking at millions of data points that no one literally has ever seen before. And we're using that in addition with MECO data and HECO data and the nearest weather station data and available building data. And when you pull all that together, you can unlock substantial savings. So you have a system and you think it's running efficiently. You've, you Obviously, when you architected the building or put in the HVAC, mm -hmm. you said these are the right places for mm -hmm. these things to go. What is yeah. an example of the biggest aha moment after you've done your report mm -hmm. that someone didn't think about and say that leads to real savings and real environmental impact? Yeah. You know, oftentimes it's not an aha moment. It's something that the team on site has been thinking about doing for quite some time. They just may not have the budget for it or they don't have the personnel to execute it. And for us, what's really important is that ongoing maintenance and verification and ensuring that the changes we're making continue. I don't want to get too geeky about this, but <laughs> you said that uh, one of the sensors can detect sort of amperage. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a passive sensor, right? So you're not plugging it into anything. Mm -hmm. How does it detect or measure current? I would love to connect you with our VP of engineering. <laughs> <laughs> That's the secret I can't give away. No. So, yeah, so I guess it's, you know, taking whatever it can get from the mm -hmm. ambient atmosphere and mm -hmm. determining some of the we're, current flows. Yeah, so we're focused on when electricity hits the building meter, 
How is it used to create and circulate conditioned air around the building? We oh, primarily okay. focus on the HVAC okay. equipment. Sometimes if lighting is available and not already done, we'll bundle that in. Um, but our end deliverable is energy savings. I like how you said that a lot of times they're already thinking about it, like let's switch mm-hmm. our lighting system or let's reconfigure our mm-hmm. air conditioning. But you can give them the data to bring to their board of directors yeah. and say this is worth investing in. Exactly. Um, what, with your 500 buildings, what's your best uh, case study in terms of uh, real-life savings or uh, achievements through the deployment or use of your data to make decisions? Well, I would definitely say I'm biased <laughs> to pick a building that I've worked in before. But I would encourage you guys and the listeners to check out our website. We have a number of case studies online at carbonlighthouse.com that shows a a broad range of the buildings that we've worked in from a ski resort in California uh, to office buildings around the country and, and schools in California as well. So, Lewis, you know, the, 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 the um, offer sounds hard to refuse. <laughs> I would love to know what my building, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of its energy uh, production, mm-hmm. how, can it, you know, how can this data tell me something about it? Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is not a free service. Mm-hmm. How do you come up with a pricing model for that building manager yeah. or owner to actually decide whether it's going to be worthwhile for them to to pay for this service. Yeah, and and to be honest, part of it actually is free. We deploy those sensors at no cost and no obligation to the owner. Uh, only once they see a full scope of work uh, and exact costs for the measures and the savings do we ask them to sign and, and is any form of payment is exchanged. And, and on top of that, we actually guarantee the savings hmm. in that scope of work. Now, do you, uh, as a company, provide services that help them now reduce their, let's say, their uh, uh, carbon utilization with mm-hmm. recommendations that you guys can now implement? Yes. Yeah, so we will develop the scope of work with measures, and then we will present it to the owner, and we hope to implement that. But we actually source local labor. So we work with folks like HBM to actually hmm. make the changes in the building. Um, but we are are overseeing the process as kind of project managers. And I see that you know you're talking about partners. I think before mm-hmm. we run out of time, I wanted to go back to Aki and say, you know, your cohort companies, whether they're based in Hawaii or elsewhere, I think you found many opportunities where they can become partners because they're solving related problems. Yeah, I mean, it. I think Carbon Lighthouse is such a wonderful example of kind of what our our dream scenario would be like, where we have a company that was um, founded in in San Francisco in the Bay Area, but they saw such an opportunity in Hawaii that they could create and develop an office here and create, you know. Um, affiliated jobs and also jobs based here as mm-hmm. well. Um, to to kind of answer your question, Ryan, um, we we do encourage our companies to work together and collaborate. We recently hosted something called the CEO and Leadership Summit, where we brought all of our CEOs and leadership teams to Hawaii and to have a little bit of a retreat. And through that retreat, you know, they start to develop many you know conversations and project ideas and that type of thing. Um, so so Lewis has had a few conversations even recently with some of mm-hmm. the other uh, portfolio companies. And so an example of one is uh, we we sponsored something called the Ohana Award, where um, Terviva, one of our local companies uh, that produces a biofuel um, from a Pongamia plant, uh, mm. and Kunoa Cattle have partnered to get together to see if um, how the seed cake from the Pongamia plant could be produced into a cattle feed for Kunoa Cattle 
cows to right. eat. Reducing waste and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of increasing productivity. Yeah. That's great. And, and what, do you have any other announcements for some of the companies coming out of uh, <laughs> Elemental? Yeah, sure. Real um, quick. Uh, real quick, uh, STEM, which is an energy storage company, they recently announced a partnership with Sheraton Waikiki, one of the Kyoya hotels, nice. um, to release a 500 kilowatt hour battery storage, um, which is one of the largest um, grid management systems that uh, Hawaiian Electric will actually be tapping into. Yeah. And we can see parallels then again with mm -hmm. what Carbon Lighthouse does. Very yeah. good. And we'll put the, uh, the URL links up on our show notes for later on tonight. Aki Marceau is the Director of Policy and Community at Elemental Accelerator. And of course, Louis Concado is an Executive Account Manager over at Carbon Lighthouse. We want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank Such you a pleasure. Guys so much. Yeah. And thank you for listening to Bitemarks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about new digital tools used by the scientists at NOAA. And of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org if you have any comments or suggestions feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org you can also find us on twitter i'm at bitemarks and you can follow me at hawaii our engineer is david chong you can catch us on hpr1 every wednesday or anytime via the hpr app and of course you be awesome and we'll see you next week on another edition of bitemarks cafe